Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me now to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're in verses 13 through 18 this morning. Our message series is called Lessons from a Growing Church, and today we turn to the topic of Christ's return. Uh, We know that Christ is returning, but what about those who die in the interim? What happens to them? How do they fit into God's plan? Will they miss out on Christ's glorious return for his people? And our passage today answers those questions for us by sharing with us God's plan for those who have died in Christ. And these are some of uh, the most wonderful words uh, in Scripture concerning our loved ones who've passed away. They are words of comfort. Uh, They are words of hope. I know that many of you uh, have lost loved ones in Christ. I know I have. Uh, And I pray that as we look at these verses together, God will give you his comfort and hope uh, even today uh, through his word. Uh, So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would indeed not only teach us from your word, but encourage us and give us comfort and hope through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Losing a loved one is probably one of life's most difficult experiences. It's something we all go through. Uh, Unless we die young ourselves, we eventually experience what it is like to lose someone to death. One person put it this way, we understand death for the first time when he puts his hand on someone we love. You know, until then, death is an abstraction. It's a, it's a mere formality until it touches someone whom we love. And that's when we first begin to understand the pain of separation, the, the dreadful finality of it all, the terrible fact that this person whom we loved, whom we still love, is, is not coming back in this life. That is the horror and the tragedy of death. And then death also raises questions about those who've passed away. And we ask all sorts of questions. What's happened to them? Where are they now? Are they okay? Will I see them again? And the death of a loved one reminds us of our own mortality. And we ask those questions, right? What will happen to me? Where will I go? Will I be okay? These are the same questions which confronted the Thessalonians and and their young and growing church as they faced the death of their loved ones. And so Paul wrote to encourage them, but it's God's word to us. And so this this is a word for us today as well. There's an outline in your worship guide. I'd encourage you to take that out. It'll help you to follow along with the message. It's also a good place to jot down some notes as we go. And uh, let's begin. Paul says, first of all, that as Christians... 
We should not grieve like those who have no hope. Such an important truth. As Christians, we should not grieve like those who have no hope. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me again now. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And when you're, you're grieving, you wonder, well, how do I get there? How do we arrive at this place where we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope? Well, first of all, you need to learn what God wants you to know, right? Isn't that what Paul says here? God does not want you to be ignorant about those who've fallen asleep. And this highlights for us the importance of of knowing what God's Word says about all things, right? God has told you everything you need to know right here in this book. It's all right here. And uh, so God says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. There's no need for you to be ignorant of that. Learn what God wants you to know. Read God's Word for yourself. Study it. Go to Bible studies. Attend our adult Bible classes here on Sunday mornings at the church. Take advantage of every opportunity you have to learn more about God's Word. God does not want you to be ignorant of spiritual matters, and when you learn what God wants you to know, especially now in uh, in today's passage, about those who have fallen asleep, you will no longer grieve like those who have no hope. And that's really the whole purpose of our passage today. It's a passage of comfort for Christians in the face of death. It's not a passage so much about the end times or even the return of Christ uh, as about comforting those who are grieving. Now, as we go through, we're going to learn some things about the end times. We're going to learn some things about Christ's return. But we must remember the primary purpose. It has a very practical purpose, and that is to bring us comfort and hope uh, when we've lost our loved ones in the Lord. God tells us what we need to know so that we will not grieve like those who have no hope. Now, that does not mean that as Christians, it doesn't mean that we don't grieve, okay? It's natural to grieve when someone dies. It's even necessary emotionally. Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. We read in Acts chapter 8 that it was godly men who buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. And so, yes, as Christians, yes, we grieve, and we grieve deeply, but not as those who have no hope. Now, there's such a thing as false hope and true hope. There are many people who just assume that uh, when a person dies, no matter what they believed, they they feel it doesn't matter what you believe. When a person dies, you automatically go to a better place. That is a false hope. God's word is clear. Only those who are in Christ have a true hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so those outside of Christ are without hope. And losing a loved one without hope is a terrible thing. I've heard the sound of grief without hope. I've been in the hospital when people have died who did not know Christ. Their loved ones around them did not know Christ. I've heard desperate wailing 
frantic cries, loud groans of deep anguish, sounds of deep sorrow and despair that would allow no comforting. You see, Christian grief is different. Yes, it's real sorrow, but it's not like non-Christian grief. It is a grief of temporary separation, not the grief of permanent, irrevocable loss. So that's the first thing. You learn what God wants you to know. That's how you come to grieve, uh, not like others who have no hope. You learn what God wants you to know. And then, secondly, think of death for the Christian as simply falling asleep. Falling asleep. Now, this was actually a common expression for death in Paul's day. It probably arose from the stillness uh, of the corpse and the thought that the dead person now rested from their earthly labors. In fact, our English word cemetery comes from the Greek word for sleep. The, the word cemetery literally means the sleeping place. I don't know if you knew that. That's what the word means, sleeping place. But for the Christian, this expression sleeping, for those who've died, it carries an additional and beautiful meaning for us, right? Because the person who is sleeping eventually wakes up, right? I'm guessing most of you probably slept last night, okay? Some of you maybe more than others. Some of you may, might have been fitful sleep, but I'm guessing everybody here today, y'all slept last night. Let me check real quick. Hey, you're all awake now. That's good. It's always good for the preacher when you're awake, right? So you slept, and then you got back up again. See, it's good news for the Christian. That's what this falling asleep means for us. We see this in the Gospel of John. When Jesus received word that Lazarus had died, he told his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And four days later, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so for the Christian, the term falling asleep points to the temporary nature of death. I like the way one person put it, death is not a period, but a comma in the story of life. One of the early church fathers wrote, what is death at most? It is a journey for a season, a sleep longer than usual. If you fear death, you should fear sleep also. Now, this is very different from what we call the doctrine of soul sleep. Some people teach the doctrine of soul sleep. It is an incorrect doctrine. It is not biblical. They teach that not only do our bodies sleep when we die, but they teach that our souls sleep as well. In other words, that you have no consciousness, no awareness uh, after death until Christ returns. But the Bible tells us that only our bodies sleep in death. And when you die as a Christian, you enter into the very presence of God. For example, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And when Paul contemplated his own possible death, he said, hey, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. John Calvin comments on this verse. He says, the reference is not to the soul, but to the body. For the dead body rests in the tomb as on a bed until God raises the person up. So that's the second thing you can do. Think of death for the Christian as simply falling asleep. Our bodies sleep, which means they will rise again. Death is not final. Death is not terminal. Our physical bodies will rise. 
And then thirdly, understand the implications of Christ's death and resurrection. How do we know that we will rise again and that our loved ones will rise again? Look at verse 14 again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Our resurrection hope is not based on guesswork or some near-death experience. Our hope is based on the firm foundation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul put it very simply. He said, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Christ's resurrection is the basis of all Christian belief and hope. Anyone can die, right? All the world's greatest religious leaders, they all died throughout history. Only Jesus died and then rose again. And notice how Paul connects Jesus' resurrection with our resurrection. He talks about two beliefs, right? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, we believe God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. The two beliefs go together. We believe the second because we believe the first. If you don't believe the first, you can't believe the second. Why do we believe in the resurrection of believers? Because we believe in the resurrection of Christ. This promise is for those who have fallen asleep in Christ, or it says literally here, through Christ, through what Christ has done for us. But I like this phrase, in Christ. To be in Christ is to be united with Christ in his death. You're united with Christ in his death so that you may also be be united with him in his resurrection. If you are a Christian this morning, that means you are in Christ. And that means that his resurrection guarantees yours. If you liked Christ's resurrection, you are going to love the sequel. Okay? It's going to be amazing. Christ rose from the dead. Therefore, those in Christ will also rise from the dead. Notice also that when Paul speaks of Jesus, he speaks of Jesus as dying, not sleeping. Very important here. Jesus died. You and I in Christ, we sleep. You see, that means death is harmless for the Christian. It's only sleep, nothing more. But you see, death was not harmless for Jesus. Jesus died. He didn't sleep. He died. He endured the horror of true death, which is God's just punishment for sin. He died not for his own sins. He did not have any. He died for our sins. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus tasted death so that we don't have to. And so as Christians, we will never taste the bitter pill of death. We merely fall asleep in Christ. Notice how Paul speaks about the resurrection of believers here. He speaks of God bringing with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Jesus will bring them with him. That means they're with him right now. That's another uh, comfort and encouragement for us. That's the key phrase, with Jesus. We look forward to Christ's return. Why? Not only because we will see Jesus, that's the main reason, right? But also because our loved ones are with Jesus. And so when Jesus comes, they're with him. They're going to come as well. The resurrection is implied in these verses, but Paul's emphasis here is on the reunion. We're going to see our loved ones again. 
So that's the first thing Paul, uh, that God tells us about those who passed away in Christ. We should not grieve like those who have no hope. Because look at these first couple of verses, all the hope we have in Christ. Secondly now, we should find hope from what God has told us about the future. Because in the next couple of verses, Paul's going to give us some additional details about what's going to happen when Christ returns. Remember, he said earlier, God doesn't want you to be ignorant about these things. God wants you to know. And so he gives us a glimpse into the future so that our hope in Christ will be even more secure. And he begins first with just really a general word of instruction. We see this in verse 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul gives this instruction according to the Lord's own word. Once again, Paul is not guessing. He's not a psychic. He's not a fortune teller. He speaks by the direct authority of Jesus Christ. He speaks of us who are still living when Christ returns. He says, we are those who are left until the coming of the Lord. Literally, what he says here, we are those who are left behind until the coming of the Lord. Which is interesting, because we usually hear that phrase, left behind, and we we hear that in a whole different manner. But at least in these verses, who are left behind? It's us who are are still alive when Christ returns. We're, We're left behind. It's the Christians who die before us. They get a jump start on heaven. Meanwhile, we're waiting for the coming of Jesus. The word for coming here in verse 15, very important word in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word is parousia. It's a word which itself means presence or arrival. Uh, in, in secular Greek, it was a technical term. Uh, when a high-ranking official or a king or someone came and visited a city. But in the New Testament, it is used to speak of the glorious return of Jesus from heaven to earth. And Paul says that we who are left behind until the parousia, until the coming of Christ, we're not going to go first. We will not precede those who've fallen asleep. Why is this so important? The Jewish belief at that time taught that those who were still alive when Messiah came, when the Messiah came to set up his kingdom, they would enjoy special blessings from God. And we all want to see, man, I would love to see Jesus when he returns. Wouldn't you love to see Jesus when he returns? That would be so amazing. And yet Paul, what he's doing, he's insisting, he says, hey, you who are still alive in Christ, when Christ comes, you will have no advantage over those who've already fallen asleep. He uses a very strong phrase here. The the NIV, our Bible translation, translates it as certainly not. He says, when Christ returns, we who are still alive will certainly not go first. And then after this general word of instruction, now he gets more specific. He goes into details. And in verses 16 and 17, he tells us the sequence of events that will take place at Christ's return. I like to call these the four R's. It's a very easy way to remember them. You have the return, the resurrection, the rapture, and the reunion. Very simple. Return, resurrection, rapture, reunion. Let's take a look at all four of these in turn. First of all, Christ will return, right? We see this in verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Notice Paul says, the Lord himself will come down. The Bible teaches us the personal return of Jesus Christ. Christ will not send an angel or some other representative in his place. 
It will not be another Christ or someone else with the spirit of Jesus. Jesus himself will return to earth. We see this in Acts 1.11 when the angel proclaimed, This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so it's this same Jesus who ascended into heaven who will come down from heaven with three things, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. This loud command means a loud cry or a summons. It's a word that was used of military commands, shouted to soldiers in the thick of battle. And here the loud command seems to announce the end. It rallies the army of God to battle, and most importantly, it calls forth those who are in their graves. This is the loud command that Jesus spoke about in John 5, 28, when he said, a time is coming when, those, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And so Christ will come down with a loud command, loud enough to wake the dead, literally. They're coming out of their graves. And then he also comes with the voice of the archangel. Another voice sounds. The archangel is the chief of all the angels. The book of Jude identifies him as Michael. The same Michael that is spoken of in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament in chapters 9 and 12. Chapter 12 in the book of Daniel specifically speaks of Michael and his involvement in the resurrection at the end of time. And we're not sure of his exact role. Perhaps he's simply a herald announcing the coming of Jesus. Perhaps he's the one who calls God's army into battle. The, uh, Mark 8.38 speaks of Christ coming with his holy angels. Maybe Michael's right there in front leading them comes with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Now, the trumpet was not used much as a musical instrument in ancient days. Its main function was simply to give signals. It was often used in religious feasts in the Old Testament. In fact, there was a feast called the Feast of Trumpets. You can read about it in Leviticus 23. Many people believe, I do, that that, that was symbolic, foreshadowing the resurrection. And then the trumpet was also used to announce the coming of a king, to announce royalty. Here comes the king. Or to gather an assembly or, or, or to, uh, for a battle cry. All of these images, all of these uses of the trumpet, they all blend together at the return of Christ. The trumpet call of God announces the coming of King Jesus. Here comes the king. It gathers the faithful assembly. It calls God's people together. It sounds the battle cry for the army of God. You put all of these things together and you can see that Christ's return will be a visible, public, worldwide event. The Gospels tell us every eye will see him, the nations will mourn. It does not matter where you are when Christ returns, you cannot possibly miss out on this event. That's the first part of the sequence. The first R, the return of Christ. Next comes the resurrection. We see this at the end of verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Remember the Thessalonians were worried about their loved ones who died in the Lord. They're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the return of Christ. No, they won't. They're going to rise first. They get a front row seat. They've got backstage, special backstage passes to the show. They're going to see it all. John Stott puts it this way. The resurrected Christ will be accompanied by his resurrected people. 
return, resurrection, then comes the rapture. Look at verse 17. After that, we who are still alive and are left behind will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the word that's translated caught up in this verse, it's a word that means to seize or to swoop down or to snatch away. And, uh, and when, when they translated the Bible into Latin, this word was uh, translated with the Latin word rot, not rapture, but rapere. But that's where we get our word rapture from. It's the same word used in the book of Acts when Philip was taken away by the Spirit and moved to a different location. It's used in the uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven, presumably in a vision. And it's used here in 1 Thessalonians of the rapture that takes place when Christ returns. Interestingly, in the original language, the word applies both to those who are still alive and also to those who've been resurrected. We often think of, you know, those who have died in Christ will be resurrected and we who are alive will be raptured. I think those are still helpful categories to distinguish, but we're all going to be raptured. Those who who are resurrected and those who are still alive. Paul literally writes, he says, we who are still alive together with those who've just been resurrected, all of us together, we will be caught up in the clouds. We will be raptured to meet the Lord. And once again, the emphasis is on reunion. We'll be caught up together with them. He says we'll be caught up together in the clouds. Clouds are associated with theophanies or appearances of God in the Old Testament. They're associated with Christ's ascension and return in the New Testament. And throughout the Bible, they're associated with judgment, with the day of the Lord, and with the coming of the Son of Man. Notice that although we are caught up together with them, we are caught up in order to meet him to meet the Lord. We're caught up together with them, but the purpose is to meet him. And as wonderful as it will be to see our loved ones again, and I've got a number of people I cannot wait to see again, as wonderful as that's going to be, the greatest joy of all folks will be to meet Jesus. The primary focus of Christ's return is not meeting our loved ones. That's important. But the primary focus is we're going to meet the Lord. And the word for meeting here, it's another technical term. This was used to those who went out of the city to meet the king. And then they would escort him back into the city. And where does this all take place? Where do we meet the Lord? Uh, The Bible says we will meet him in the air. And the air is that realm between heaven and earth as Christ descends from heaven. The resurrected and raptured saints ascend from the earth. We get off the planet. We get off the earth. And folks, that's a real good thing. Okay, because trust me, you do not want to be here on this earth when Christ returns. Because Christ comes with his holy army to judge the earth and all of its inhabitants. That's why the Bible tells us all the nations of the earth will mourn when they see him. He comes in judgment. The air is also viewed as Satan's realm in Scripture. He's called the prince of the power of the air. But at Christ's return, no longer, no more. When Christ returns, God takes it back. It all belongs to God. Satan's got nothing. And so there's the rapture. Christ comes down from heaven. We rise to meet him in the air somewhere between heaven and the earth. 
And then finally, we come to that fourth R, which stands for reunion, which is what this whole passage is about. We will all be reunited in the Lord's presence. Look at the end of verse 17. And so we will be with the Lord forever. You know, some people would give everything they own just to have five more minutes with their lost loved one. To see them again, just one more time. They would give everything. The Christian hope is not just that we will see our loved ones again. We will be together with them and with the Lord forever. Death is not the end, it is only the beginning. I love the way James Dobson puts it. He writes, the final heartbeat for the Christian is not the mysterious conclusion to a meaningless existence. It is rather the grand beginning to a life that will never end. And so the Christian hope is not only that Christ will return, that is our hope, right? But that when he does, he will bring those who have died in Christ with him. And those, who, who, uh, those in Christ who are still alive, we will join them. Notice those first three R's again. They each have to do with a different group of people. The return has to do with Jesus. The resurrection has to do with those who've died in Christ. The rapture has to do with those who are still alive when Christ comes. And then the fourth R's, all three together. Jesus, those who've died, those who are still alive, all joined together in a glorious reunion with each other in the air. Return, resurrection, rapture, reunion. This is the hope that God holds out for us as believers in Christ. And then finally, we come to verse 18, which is really the application of our passage this morning. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. With these words. You know, there are various ways we comfort or encourage uh, others at, at a time of bereavement. We, we can encourage each other through prayer or through cards through practical acts of kindness, through the simple gift of our presence, by by just being there. All of those are important. I hope you do all of those. But as Christians, we can offer so much more than, than even our presence or companionship. We can also offer these words, words of faith and hope and truth and comfort, words which help the person at a very difficult time, helps them to connect their faith in Christ with the promised reunion with our loved ones who've died in Christ. That is our hope in the face of death. If you are a Christian, you will see your loved ones who died in Christ again. They're only sleeping. And those who sleep wake up again. And so when Christ returns, he will raise our loved ones from the dead. We will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord. We will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let us pray.